Acts chapter 13. And there we'll read verses 1 through 4. So I invite you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. You may be seated. I feel I must begin this sermon with something that you might have seen in a TV show. I, I must begin it with a, with a moment of saying, previously in the book of Acts. Right. It's been a while since we've, we've been in Acts. It's been a good uh, summer length, in fact, several months. Uh, we were taking our time to consider the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The book of Acts is, is all about the Holy Spirit poured out. So we said, what does it look like to know the Spirit, to have him within you? Um, and so we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. But if you can remember back, and some of you might say, well, I wasn't here. I've, I've, I've been at this church since you've, uh, you paused Acts. If you can remember back to where we were in the book of Acts, uh, we were at the end of chapter 12. Here's what was going on. Here's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about the risen Lord Jesus continuing to build and establish his church. At the very beginning of Acts, the risen Lord Jesus ascends into heaven. Now, why did Jesus go up into the clouds? Why did he go to be seated at the right hand of the Father? The risen Lord Jesus went up so that his church would go out. He went up so his church would go out. It's almost as if Jesus ascends into heaven and he drops a gospel bomb down on the earth, a a good kind of bomb. (laughs) And and, in these ripple effects that go outward from Jerusalem, um, the gospel spreads through his disciples. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It's about Jesus going up so that he continue his work in establishing his kingdom as it goes out through his disciples. And he gives us, actually, um, in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, this really helpful way of understanding how he's going to build his church. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And what you'll see there is Jesus giving a final word to his disciples. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What is Jesus saying? He is giving us an outline of the book of Acts. 
But more than that, he's giving us an outline for what he is actually going to do in history as he as his gospel goes outward. First, the gospel starts in Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem is the epicenter. It's where he was crucified. It's where he died. It's where he rose again from the dead. And he said, so it starts there. And so in chapters one through seven, we saw through Peter's preaching, through um, uh, Stephen's martyrdom, that the gospel is going to win the day in Jerusalem and capture hearts despite the devil's um, protest. And that's exactly what we see. The gospel spreads throughout Jerusalem so that people are talking about it throughout that entire city. But it doesn't stop there because then we come to the second stage in chapters 8 through 12 of Acts. In real history, the gospel spreads to Judea and Samaria. In other words, um, it spreads uh, to the couple hundreds of miles north and south of Jerusalem and east and west of Jerusalem in, in, in another ripple effect, another wave outward. And what we saw, uh, perhaps the highlight of that advance of the gospel was Cornelius and his household. A Gentile man, a man who was close to the kingdom, a man who believed in the God of Israel. And suddenly this groundbreaking movement happens where, uh, lo and behold, he is accepting the gospel and invited into the kingdom, receiving the Holy Spirit, even without being circumcised. From Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And you know where I'm going next. The rest of the book of Acts is about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. In other words, it just never stops. It spreads and spreads and spreads and you can't stomp it out. Because Jesus' witnesses take the good news with them. That's what your risen Lord is doing as he sits on his throne right now. If you've ever fallen into the, uh, the wrong thinking uh, that Jesus has kind of put pause on his work, he's, he's just chilling somewhere. No, Jesus is very much active and at work advancing his kingdom. He's involved in everything that's going on right now through his church. He takes an active interest in it. He's quite involved. And he's seeking worshipers throughout the entire earth that he created. There's a little city. Actually, it's not a little city. It's the third largest city in Rome called Antioch. You've heard about it before. You might remember it months ago. That's the city where Jesus launches his third stage of gospel advance. That is the city that is going to take the gospel, not just to Jerusalem, not just to Judea and Samaria, but also to the ends of the earth. That's the city, Antioch. Antioch is the first missionary church. That word missions is certainly a Latin word that means to send, to send forth, missio. And so when we say that Antioch is the first missionary church, what we mean is it is the first church that actively sends missionaries that actively takes uh, an institutional interest in this. Because up to this point, I want you to understand the gospel is going out from Jerusalem because of persecution. People are, are not intending really to go on a journey to share the gospel. They're running for their lives because people are trying to kill them for what they believe. And as they go, the gospel goes with them. 
But now the church stops and thinks and says, no, we don't just do this by accident. We don't, we don't just do this when we're persecuted. We do this because this is what the church does. So I want to look at this missionary church, this first missionary church. I want to look at it and learn from it by considering what a missionary church is. First of all, a missionary church worships. Second, a missionary church sends. And third, a missionary church surrenders. It worships, it sends, it surrenders. There's your basic outline. So consider first that a missionary church worships. Verse 2 says, nice and clear. Chapter 13, verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. I want you to notice a few things about this worshiping church. First of all, this is a church that believes that Jesus is the risen Lord. Why else would they be gathering to worship him? They believe that he's really risen from the dead, that he's building his church. And they are committed to gathering, praying, and preaching the word. That is the thing that defines this church. That is the central activity that they're committed to. They're committed to a liturgy of praising God. And that matters more to them than politics, than nationality, than race. Because you'll notice that there is quite a diversity in this church. You can see it in their teachers. Look at the teachers they've invested in. They have many teachers for a church that's only about two years old. Simeon and Lucius are from Africa. And, and uh, the text goes out of its way to, to explain that they are dark-skinned men. Uh, Menaean is a social elite who used to hang around in Herod's court. Saul was an old-school Pharisee. Former persecutor of the church. And then you come to Barnabas, right? Barnabas, uh, the generous uh, financier of the church from Jerusalem. And so what you have here is this cosmopolitan church, this mixture, this diversity of teachers and people uh, who are, are coming together. And they're saying, look, the main thing that defines us is not our race. It's not our politics. It's this. It is our commitment to worshiping the Lord Jesus together. And that's what you see in Antioch. It's beautiful. Isn't that what we want to see here? Isn't that just a little picture of what we want the light of the nations to be? So these teachers bend their different backgrounds to a new purpose, leading this cosmopolitan city in praise to King Jesus. You know what Antioch would look like if you kind of blew it up on a, on a universal scale? If Antioch went global... It would look something a lot like Revelation chapter 7. Every, people of every tribe and tongue, people who look different, coming together, washing uh, themselves in the blood of the Lamb, and finding peace in King Jesus. This is, this is the kind of worship, this is the kind of city uh, that God takes. And it's no accident that he takes that city and says, yeah, I'm going to multiply that throughout the world, right? No accident that he starts with this diverse 
um, eclectic uh, city that is united in its worship of King Jesus. Now, here's why this is so important, that above all, Antioch was a worshiping church, a church that was invested in gospel teaching, gospel preaching, praise to King Jesus. Here's why. Worship fuels missions. Here's what I mean by that. You aren't going to take time to tell people about Jesus unless more than anything you love his worship. You aren't going to have awkward conversations with people who are skeptical of your king unless you are so captivated with the praise of his name that You'll forego any kind of suffering, any kind of awkwardness, just to see more people call upon him. You aren't going to talk about Jesus. You aren't going to share him. You're not going to invest money in the sharing of his name unless you are utterly convinced that there is only one name under heaven by which men may be saved. And that name, Jesus, must be worshipped. You're just not going to invest in missions unless you, you really love the worship of God. Unless you have the burning desire of your heart is to see more people joining in the praise of King Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? Maybe it's even subtle that you're, you're here and you're worshiping with light of the nations. But you say, but there's a city that doesn't know him. But there's darkness in Dayton. But there's a world that is turned against our king. And if that really bothers you, friends, then you're starting to understand the heart of missions. The heart of missions is a heart of worship. It's a heart that says the whole world must worship him. Psalm 67, 3, let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Psalm 72, 8, may he have dominion from, from sea to sea, from sea to shining sea. Is that the desire of your heart? To see a world worshiping Jesus? If you really grasp the beauty of worship, then it won't be enough just to maintain worship here at Light of the Nations. It won't be enough just to look around and see, see this, this small group of believers worshiping. It's not going to be enough until the whole world is full with people who call upon the name of the Savior. John Piper says this, missions exist because worship does not. You see what he's saying? He's saying that the ultimate goal of the church isn't missions. It's not sending people out just to send people out. It's worship. The ultimate goal of the church is to see uh, God's chosen people call upon his name, praise him with their lips, embrace him with their hearts. And they're not going to do that unless the good news is preached to them. And so missions is fueled by worship for a desire to see the whole earth praising God for his glory to be uh, spotlighted. Is that your longing? If you're not sure, then I'd encourage you get, get back to the basics of what the chief end of man is. What is it? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
You say, I want to glorify God. I want to enjoy him. The more you do that, you'll start to say, others have to know this God. Others need to worship him. So missions is fueled by worship. A missionary church worships. And then a missionary church sins. You'll notice that one of the focuses of this passage in in verses 2 through 3 is that the Holy Spirit speaks and says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now again, this is the first time that missionaries are actively sent. This is the first time that there's a concerted effort to actually um, send forth a people that are proclaiming the gospel in a design that they're going to go to different locations and, and see the worship of God expand into territory where before there was darkness and deceit. Now notice the generosity of this church in its sending. First of all, they sacrificed. They gave generously financially. And here's how you can know that. Because travel in first century world was not free. It's expensive. It's expensive to travel all over uh, the, the ancient world. Someone's got to pay taxes. Some, someone's got to pay fares. Someone's got to pay for lodging. And the church is taking that upon themselves. It's saying, in part, this investment is going to come from us. They're also giving generously in a personal way. I want you to consider this. When the Holy Spirit said, I want you to send on a mission Barnabas and Saul, what do you think that church thought? Those are two of our best guys. (laughs) Not them. You know, Barnabas, he's the great giver of the church. He's always pouring resources into us. He's, He's encouraging us. We... Lord, don't take him from us. What about Saul? The great preacher? I mean, we've heard some of his early sermons. This is God saying, I want you to sacrifice. I want you to give two of your best and cherished resources. I I want you to give up two of your beloved preachers. That's hard. These are the types of preachers you'd want to hold on to. They're the dream team. And so the church of Antioch fasted, they prayed, and then they laid hands on these men and sent them out. And when they laid hands on them, it was much like the the priest in the Old Testament would do when he laid his hands on the sacrifice saying, I identify with this one. The church is saying, we support you. We identify with you. Where you go, we go. Because you carry the gospel. Take it. Take it to the ends of the earth. So that this community, this church expands and grows. And there are worshipers in every city. You know, we're still called to this kind of sacrificial sending today. I think of our mother church, Covenant and Vandalia. I think of their sacrifice of giving generously of Pastor Montgomery. Jeremiah Montgomery uh, is is going to uh, serve the denomination. He's going to serve 
home missions as a coordinator. He's going to, uh, uh, to invest his resources, not in covenant anymore. He's moving to Philadelphia. That had to be hard for many at covenant. That had to be really tough. And yet they say, brother, go. Because when you go, missions grows. What about Pastor Brad here at Light of the Nations? Yeah, you'll, you'll notice if you look at our budget that we support him. Some of you say, who is he? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, some of you might, genuinely might not know who Pastor Brad is. And, and actually, I was teasing him uh, last month. I said, there are people. This church is growing. And there are people that don't know who you are. You need to preach. You need to tell them what you're doing. And uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. But uh, let me tell you why we support Pastor Brad. Because if he stays here, the gospel is sequestered here. But if he goes to Louisville, if he goes to Chillicothe, if he goes to Sydney, then the gospel goes with him. And that's why we pour money into what Pastor Brad does. Because he's a gifted pastor who takes the gospel wherever he goes. Now, we could sequester him here. I think the session might have that right. Say, yeah, you're not going anywhere, Brad. Stay put. But we say, sometimes this is hard for me to say to a very good friend of mine, go. Because if he goes, the gospel goes. Are we willing to send and to keep sending even when it hurts till the earth is full of Christ worshipers? Are you willing to send to see your sons sent? Are you willing to see your daughters give their gifts? Are you willing to see your best friends move to a new church plant on the other side of town when we get to that point? You know, some of you know all about this because you ended up here at this church because Pastor Brad or Nathan Jones or myself came to you and said, hey, look, the church you're at is really full. Come downtown. There's darkness there. There's darkness to, to penetrate with the gospel. And we need witnesses in this community. So you know what I'm talking about. This church has been built upon that kind of sacrifice. So my, my counsel is this. As we read this passage, my counsel is, let's not forget this. Let's not forget that this now becomes our mission. And there might come a day, maybe it's years from now, maybe it's sooner than that, where we say, wow, look how the Lord has blessed us. We can't sequester. We've got to send. And part of this what this all means is that the, a true missionary church not only worships and not only sins, but it also surrenders. It surrenders to the will of the great captain, Jesus, his Holy Spirit. You know, Paul and Barnabas are wonderful models of a willingness to serve. Notice what they do. God says, send for me, Paul and Barnabas, set them apart. What do they do? They go. They go. 
Paul and Barnabas are models of willingness. They don't pretend to be captains of their own fate. They follow their captain, Jesus, wherever he calls them to go. And you'll notice it's because this church and their teachers are surrendered to that kind of that outlook of seeing Jesus as the captain of their souls, the captain of their church. It's because of that that we see in verse three that the church sends them off. But in verse four, the Holy Spirit sends them off. Do you see that? That close interconnection between what the church does and the Holy Spirit does. This is Presbyterianism at its finest. This is a a total surrender of the local church to do the will of the Holy Spirit and to do it institutionally in a way that sends uh, missionaries out locally and to foreign fields so that tongues that never praise the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit are brought out of darkness and say, he's my king. Perhaps the greatest takeaway for us, friends, as a church is this, that as we get back into the book of Acts, we're going to talk, we're going to see God spotlight other uh, topics. He's going to go beyond missions and evangelism. We're going to hear a lot about missions and evangelism. But as we move on to other topics, I want us to keep praying like the church of Antioch did. Keep praying, perhaps even fasting during times, depriving our bodies of food for, for a brief time so that Uh, We might call out all the more to God. And I would ask that our prayer be this. What's next, Captain? What's next, Jesus? Where would you have us go? What would you have our church do? Where would you have our missions reach? How shall I serve you this season? That's a good personal question for you. How shall I serve you this season? And as you pray that, look for what doors the Lord opens for ministry here or perhaps even abroad. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking that he will send us into the fields of harvest. Heavenly Father. How will people believe on Jesus if they have not heard of him? Send us, Lord. Send us into Dayton. And Lord, help us to be a church that doesn't just maintain what we're doing. Doesn't just go with the status quo. But a church that is ready to send and is constantly asking Lord, what's next? What's more? Help us to not grow stale, but but to be uh, on the edge of our seats, Lord, ready for where you would send us. Lord, we pray that there would come a day where you would build us so fully up. Uh, We have so many worshipers here, so many teachers and preachers and elders and deacons here that we would say, Lord, where shall we send them? And Lord... May there be a day when our sons are sent as missionaries to wherever you would have them go. And when that day comes, Lord, may we be ready to say, okay, I surrendered to you, Jesus. I surrender to your mission. We pray this all in your name.